What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined as always by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. Chris, how's it going, man? It's going well. Just trying to uh, knock out everything that we have that's ahead of us. And there's a lot now with basketball merging with football. So uh, and it's very fluid. Both, both, both programs, both teams, of course, uh, have sort of uncertain weeks ahead. So we're, we're just trying to get to the bottom of it and be able to convey that to our audience. Most definitely. And, and this is always the time of year where basketball and football kind of converge, but this year's a lot different in that regard because there is so much unknown. But Trevor, how are we doing? Yeah, Mason, doing good. It's exciting to get the chance to come back to college basketball, especially since we didn't have an NCAA tournament at the end of last season. So hopefully that can all come together and then hopefully a football game at the end of the week too. Most definitely. We're all hoping the same thing. Jacob, how are you doing, man? I'm good, Mason. It's, uh, you know, like Chris said, it's a busy time of year, but it's also exciting. I, I think uh, all of us enjoy the combination of the challenge of being able to cover all these things at the same time. And, and you know, this year, like Chris said, again, it's a, an extra layer of challenge. So it's an exciting time. It's a busy time, but I'm doing well. It's good to hear everyone, and uh, we're going to continue to do our best to bring our audience, obviously, the best coverage we can. And that converges with the basketball season, obviously, as we're getting into it. The first game of the season already, some some issues there with ASU trying to play Baylor on Wednesday. That's not happening anymore after Baylor's head coach, Scott Drew, tested positive for COVID-19, prompted the Sun Devils to pull out of that game concerns about contact tracing and, and not wanting to risk playing Baylor. Chris, so what's the status on ASU's plans to still travel to Mohegan Sun and potential options right now of, of other opponents? Right. So look, uh, it, we just saw ASU have a pretty significant COVID situation and contact tracing with its football team two weeks ago. Um, they, the team traveled, played USC. There was players and coaches exposed to COVID somewhere that weekend, uh, whether it was actually on the road trip or when they got back on Sunday and mingled as a team with players that they left behind. But uh, most of the team's uh, players who tested positive did not do so until Wednesday or Thursday. So that shows you very clearly as a, with an ASU example that there are uh, days of incubating COVID where people have it but are not yet testing positive, right? So Scott Drew, Baylor's head coach tested positive uh, on Sunday, or at least the news was released that he tested positive on Sunday. Uh, ASU scheduled to play Baylor on Wednesday. It's a four-day period. Very clearly possible that uh, players and or others with Baylor could be incubating and not testing positive. Uh, Baylor released that they, they had uh, nobody else tested positive. It doesn't mean that everybody's clear with the virus. And when you have these non-conference games these at these types of events, you have uh, a merging of different uh, health policies around these teams. The, uh, the event itself at the Mohegan Sun may have a lower threshold to be able to, to play than would be the local health guidelines or the team health guidelines. And that is the case in this situation. Uh, because uh, my sources are, are telling me that ASU and Villanova believe that, uh, that Scott Drew's exposure to his team should put all of basically the whole team, or at least everybody he was around, into contact tracing. But that's not what Baylor's doing. So uh, not only did ASU not want to play Baylor, but uh, I'm hearing that Vir Villanova did not want to play the winner of ASU Baylor because ASU would be playing a team that had that type of exposure. And yet Baylor did not want to uh, withdraw from the event. And the, the event was not forcing Baylor to withdraw because Baylor hadn't violated the, uh, the terms that were agreed upon by all teams. So you end up in this conundrum. Um, so ASU decided to pull out ASU is making a decision we're, we're recording this monday morning asu is making a decision i would say by when they're scheduled to depart late monday monday late afternoon i believe and so they have to make a decision essentially about um what if they're going to still travel and if they can play now florida uh pulled out and paused due to a covid 19 situation 
they're scheduled to be at the Mohegan Sun, which is like, they're calling it a bubble. I don't really consider it a bubble, but that's what they're calling it. Um, they are, the reason I, I say that is because these teams are traveling two days before they play. So obviously they are not going to then be quarantining for a period of two weeks or whatever before they all play on the court. So, you know, so they're all, you call it whatever you want, but it's not really a, a true bubble because people could have, they could get COVID in transit or before they even leave test negative for a couple of days, still have COVID that tests that shows up later. Anyways. Um, the, the possibility is because Florida pulled out of a separate uh, events tournament at the Mohegan Sun. There's several of them. Uh, ASU could potentially play uh, uh, UMass Lowell in the first game, followed by Virginia if, if it beats UMass Lowell and Virginia wins its game. I have not heard, as we're taping this, that that's uh, been finalized, though I do anticipate that it might be in the near future. If that does not happen, there's another possibility that I've heard about, uh, but I don't know specifics on the opponents that also could include ASU still going to the Mohegan Sun and playing one or two games. So that is the latest that I have as we are uh, uh, talking right now. Right. And we'll continue to follow this uh, in our subsequent reporting as news gets released. But Chris, you also made a point about this on Twitter about the thoughts or the notion that ASU might be scared to play Baylor. Just what, what is your take on, on those who actually think that? Well, I said on Twitter, like the only people that huff paint would actually believe that it makes no sense, right? Why ASU knew that Baylor was going to be a top three team in the preseason when the game was scheduled and these teams haven't played any games. So there's absolutely no reason why you would be nervous or scared. ASU, also, from my sources, has had no uh, COVID issues, no, no positive tests in weeks, no issues whatsoever. They've been practicing normally, um, and ASU is a good team, right? ASU is a, is a number 18 ranked team in the country. The only way that ASU was going to be able to um, you know, have these high-profile non-conference games for its benefit of strength of schedule were doing it at the very outset of the schedule based upon the way that this whole COVID year was unfolding. So as a result of that, uh, I, I think it's preposterous for anybody to think that ASU is pulling out due to being afraid of playing against these teams. Well, good points there. And this already has an impact obviously on ASU's schedule. Uh, their non-conference schedule was released earlier in the week and it's a nine, it was a nine game slate, uh, obviously decisions still having to be made in regards to the Baylor game. ASU was, if they had won, that was going to play the winner of Boston college and Villanova still up in the air with that. But the rest of the schedule, as it plays out seven more games remaining and Overall, there are two Pac-12 opponents. I'll give a rundown. It's Houston Baptist first on November 29th at, uh, at home. Then on the road at California, December 3rd. Back at home against San Diego State, December 10th. At Grand Canyon, December 13th. And then three home games in a row against UTEP, December 16th. Incarnate Word, December 18th. And at home against Utah, December 22nd. So Trevor, overall, what were some of just your initial impressions of this non-conference schedule? And typically, it's around 11 non-conference games for ASU. Does it make it more difficult not having as many games in this season in terms of, of Pac-12 or, or NCAA tournament seeding? Well, I think definitely in the past, the staple that Bobby Hurley has brought to ASU is being able to schedule tough non-conference games. And obviously, this is now taken away from the Baylor game and then potentially the Villanova game on Friday that ASU would have had playing two of the top three teams in the country to sort of boost its resume. And now you've got a shortened schedule on top of that. Um, and it's going to be a little different this year, right? <laughs> Having two conference opponents with California and Utah included that will count um, toward the Pac-12 standing. So Definitely some limited chances now. And again, just not having those two games at the beginning of the year, and especially with how much the NCAA tournament committee takes into account quality opponents with the new net ranking, um, that's going to be difficult to adjust to as well. And Trevor mentions it uh, just in terms of those two Pac-12 games counting toward the conference standings, Chris. I was initially confused by that. I, I had originally thought that they would not count. What? How does that all work in terms of playing conference opponents uh, in, in these non-conference games. 
Right. So ASU did a little confusing thing when they put out the graphic with the non-conference that included the two conference teams. I think that was a, a mistake uh, or at least shouldn't have been uh, presented that way, I guess. The, the conference voted to go to a 20-game conference schedule earlier this year for the first time. It's always been 18. So you have the, the normal sort of traveling uh, pairs, and then you have your in-state or your, your local rival. Uh, you shouldn't say in-state because Colorado, Utah, right? But the um, So when you go to 20, in order to still have an equal number of home and road games, you have to have a disconnected um, um, uh, two games that are not part of the traveling party situation. You want one home, one away. So because of that, uh, th they're playing those games earlier than the normal 18 games. And that's how you end up with everybody playing these two earlier games. And that's also part of ASU's decision with regard to the, the, the pulling out of not playing the uh, Baylor because ASU has a conference game in less than two weeks. It's like 10 or 11 days, right? So in the event that ASU played against the team that was exposed, its contact tracing protocols would require a 14-day quarantine period of everybody. So that means that ASU wouldn't be able to even play in several games, including a conference game at the beginning of a season. And in basketball, especially with conditioning and all these other factors, to have that happen right at the beginning when you know you're exposing yourself to the potential of that is a, is a bad situation. You don't want to do it. Yeah, that is uh, definitely a not so ideal scenario. But at the end of the day, the, the schedule, it, it doesn't appear like outside of Baylor, at least there's too many difficult opponents. Obviously, Villanova would have been as well. And we'll see what decisions they make in regards to, to this week as we continue to cover that situation. But as you evaluate it, before we move on, Chris, obviously Bobby Hurley has scheduled tough in the past. Does it does this slate of games make it more difficult? And and we've heard all about how the Pac-12 is stronger this season, but not playing as difficult opponents as they have in the past. Does that have any implications toward the tournament? Uh, absolutely, it does. The, the NCAA doesn't view non-conference games differently than conference games. Doesn't view when you play the games. I think it's a, a wrong-headed strategy, but doesn't view not, uh, uh, games in November, December differently than February for resume evaluation purposes. So if you don't play a strong non-conference schedule relative to the te other teams, um, that makes it harder. Now, I haven't really studied all of the non-conference uh, uh, around the country, the top 20, 30 teams. So it's hard for me to really compare how ASU's schedule, you know, is measured up against the other teams given the COVID situation. I suspect that that um, there's just not a lot of opportunities to host or travel to uh, um, other high-profile opponents for one-off type games. That's why these early sort of little mini tournament situations were the, the best format to be able to satisfy that and get those the the your your strength of schedule up so uh, and then also you want ideally you want to be able to play more games to sort of dial in you, where you're at as a team and how good you're able to play by the time you get to the meaningful you know more meaningful in the conference setting quote unquote uh games and uh and that's not gonna happen as much this year uh you know but uh, on the flip side, it's not like some teams are going to be playing or some teams are going to be scheduled to play five more games in ASU. This is sort of the normal, I would say, you know, the average is probably teams are going to be playing seven or eight non-conference games. And that's if, and it's a big if, they're able to avoid the, all these, you know, pitfalls that you could fall into of the COVID-related situations. And Chris, you mentioned the strength of schedule of ASU's non-conference games, you know, after the Mohegan Sun schedule, what may or may not happen there. ASU's toughest opponent, according to Ken Palm, after the Mohegan Sun is San Diego State at number 44. Besides San Diego State, ASU's highest ranked opponent is Grand Canyon at number 164. 
UTEP is 195, Incarnate Word is 345, and Houston Baptist 347 on Ken Palm. So the strength of schedule outside of that tournament, by the way, for those of you who don't know, there's 357 teams ranked in Ken Palm system. So the, the strength of schedule, there's a significant drop off after that opening tournament that was supposed to happen. And now it's a little bit more up in the air. So you mentioned the strength of schedule. There's just a stat for you to kind of back that up. Yeah, very interesting. And it kind of exactly backs up what Chris said there. It's it's an interesting year and, and we'll see how it all plays out. The schedule changes. There's still so much that's that's undetermined, even with this schedule set. We don't know if ASU is even going to get the chance to play all of these games, but we're, we're obviously hoping so, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But moving forward and, and kind of taking a look back at last season compared to this year's roster, ASU obviously looks quite a bit different. Uh, they lost Romello White to transfer to Old Miss. They lost Rob Edwards to expiring eligibility. Some other guys transferred, other, other role players. But they did bring in the number seven recruiting class. It was a four-man class uh, from the high school ranks, headlined by Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley. Also, a couple impact transfers. Holland Woods has gotten rave reviews in the offseason by Bobby Hurley thus far. Uh, he appears like, like he'll be an impact player for the team this year who's going to play a lot. And then, obviously, not to mention Remy Martin and Alonzo Verge return after exploring their NBA draft potential. And, and they come back and, and the backcourt overall really looks very talented. But Trevor, starting with you, what are your kind of expectations relative to all of the talent that ASU seemingly brings to the court this year? Yeah, and this this backcourt, and I remember a couple, a couple of weeks ago when John Rostein tweeted that it could be the deepest in college basketball and it might not even be close. And based on what we've seen, it definitely seems so, right? And Remy Martin's a preseason All-American Josh Christopher is one of the top recruits in the country coming out of his class. And then Alonzo Verge it was the reigning Pac-12 six-man of the year, one of the top scorers in the conference toward the end of the season. So it's all going to be interesting to see how it comes together. Uh, it, it, you know, spacing is going to be the, one of the biggest things that ASU will have to figure out last season. It had some concerns with that in the beginning of the year last year, just with Remy Martin and Alonzo Verge trying to figure out how to play off each other, both ball-dominant guys who can go get their own bucket at any moment and you have to figure out a way to sort of do that in the flow of the offense. And like you said, the loss of Romello White is huge for a couple of reasons. One, he was the second leading rebounder in the Pac-12, really a stable force for ASU down there. And then also really got improved as a post player um, as his career went on for the Sun Devils. Uh, last year had a lot of go-to options, especially early in the non-conference season when ASU was really struggling to shoot from the perimeter. Uh, and that's something that, it, you know, they're going to miss this year. Uh, they expect Jalen Graham to step up and sort of be that role of what Romello White could do. And Bobby Hurley is saying that there might not be a drop off at that position if Graham can play to his potential. Um, but certainly a lot of things to figure out and sort of come together for that expectation, that potential to sort of manifest. And Jacob, where do you evaluate uh, the, the new additions, where this team is at as compared to last year? Yeah, I mean, I think Trevor touched on it with just with the the two freshmen that Arizona State was able to bring in, Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the top-ranked high school duo that Arizona State has been able to sign in the history of its program. Uh, so their additions are huge. And then, you know, you mentioned it, Mason. Holland Woods has gotten rave reviews from coaches' teammates throughout the preseason and, and in the lead-up to this week. So I think that Arizona State put itself in a really good spot with the people it was able to bring in. And, and Trevor did mention also that the loss of Romello White stacks up to be fairly significant for Arizona State, not only because of what he was able to do as a rebounder and defensively, but also because last season, a lot of Arizona State's offense in the early goings of the year were channeled through him. They struggled to shoot from the perimeter. They were able to get the ball to Romello White in the post, and he was able to do damage from there. So, uh, you know, Arizona State lost a, a very significant big man in, you know, a group of players that is not as deep as the guards right now. So, the, the question will be who can step up as a big man. And, you know, Trevor mentioned Jalen Graham. Uh, they also brought in Chris Osten, uh, you know, junior college transfer. He is a guy who Bobby Hurley has said is just a real high effort guy. So uh, we'll see if he can, you know, be the rebounder rim runner that Arizona State may need off the bench in the post. So, you know, the real question is just what the depth is going to look like down low and how Arizona State will be able to use that to be successful and supplement its loss of Romello White. Chris, I mentioned number seven recruiting class nationally, also number two in the Pac-12 alone. 
And that's obviously Bobby Hurley has developed a reputation for recruiting well during his tenure historically for this ASU basketball program. How significant is the talent? How does it compare to years past? And, and how does it just compare even to, to Hurley's tenure at ASU? Well, look, first of all, what I would say is that you, you, you always want your, the whole to equal the parts that you have. And so, um, we didn't mention the loss of either Rob Edwards or Mickey Mitchell yet, but Bobby Hurley mentioned Mickey Mitchell specifically last week in talking about uh, some alarms going off. Those were his words, alarms going off about the team's defensive urgency and overall disposition. And even though Mickey Mitchell was coming back from a pretty serious injury and didn't play a lot last year, um, you know, he still provided that sort of grit that, that Bobby Hurley wants to have within his team. And my sense is that, you know, and even Rob Edwards kind of, you know, to an extent provided that as well. And uh, one was one of ASU's most important players, obviously, you know, double figure scorer, uh, took more threes probably than anybody on the team last year, even more than Remy Martin. You know, I understand that people think that the replacement value of a Josh Christopher to Rob Edwards is 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 there, um, you know, and, and it, very, it very well may be. And that Mickey Mitchell is, you know, clearly not as good of a basketball prospect or maybe even player than Marcus Bagley. But there's you want, you know, the, the, the overall to on both ends of the floor be raised and match what you have from a talent standpoint. So I think that to answer your question, Josh Christopher, Marcus Bagley, very clearly the best uh, basketball duo or the highest profile duo in a very long time at ASU. The only real comparison to my mind that there is, it, you go back to when Ike Diagu and Serge Angenou, uh, Signed with ASU, Serge Anganu was a little bit underrated, uh, but a lot of people around the program thought that he was he looked better than Ike Diagu in uh, whatever year that was. You know, about twenty years ago, twenty maybe you know nineteen years ago or something. Uh, a lot of people thought that uh, Anganu was going to be better, but then in an exhibition game, he really uh, uh, severely injured his knee in, in the waning moments of the game and his career never ended up being what people expected. So, uh, you know, other than that, you, you have like James Harden and being, you know, sort of a lesser pairing with a Ty Abbott or a Jamel McMillan or something like that. Uh, we haven't really seen anything like this though. I mean, people around the program, they think that not only is Josh Christopher a lottery pick, type of a talent, but that Marcus Bagley also has that potential as well. And next year's NBA draft is going to be a, a, a better at the top uh, talent wise than, than this year's draft. So that's saying something there's uh, you got to go back to the, that uh, amazing ASU team from 1981 to get to a team that had the type of potential NBA prospects that ASU has right now. Uh, hasn't been anything else like that from then till now, 40 years almost, right? So it's a pretty remarkable thing. Uh, I had said on the board that if Josh Christopher had been in this year's NBA draft, he would have garnered consideration along with those top several players because there were sort of reasonable debates about how Josh Christopher measured up against some of the top, you know, guards or wings, uh, in this class. And that's really saying something that ASU has a guy like that on the team. Now we have to see if he actually plays to that potential. Marcus Bagley, Bobby Hurley says is underrated essentially for somebody who was ranked whatever he was 30th in the country, roughly that's saying a lot. So uh, I'm interested to see how that kind of all unfolds like everybody else who's on the podcast and listening to the podcast. And then uh, I think it's also important to mention that ASU needs one or more of these newcomers uh, besides those two guys to step up, especially in the front court. I wasn't expecting much from Chris Osten. Um, you know, he spent a couple years playing at a, at a, at a lower level before going to junior college. 
Um, you know, he didn't, wasn't getting recruited. Essentially ASU was like his only real division one opportunity, certainly his only higher echelon division one opportunity. But Bobby Hurley says that he thinks that uh, what he brings from a tenacity, uh, offensive rebounding, uh, a defensive anchoring standpoint, and just the energy and the consistency uh, that he is going to be able to get some minutes behind Jalen Graham. And that's huge, right? Because the biggest loss on the team we know is Romello White. He was, uh, you know, virtually a, very close to a double-double average last year, second in rebounds in the Pac-12. And uh, he provided uh, a lot of good coverages on ball screens. And even though he wasn't a, a shot blocker, there was a lot of defensive sort of versatility that went along with his rebounding and his ability to get you a bucket when needed in the post. I think, though, Jalen Graham is, certainly has a higher upside and uh, and the potential is there for him to be as good or better than Romello White even this year. I think in the future he will be better player. But uh, we have to see if Jalen Graham is going to be able to go you know, let's say 25 to 30 minutes a game, stay out of foul trouble, you know, not wear down physically. And if ASU is going to be able to get some help behind him from what appears most likely at this point to be Chris Osten and, or some smaller ball combination lineup that, that includes Kamani Lawrence or Tayshawn Cherry uh, at the five. And importantly, Kamania Lawrence coming off of six weeks of relative uh, um, uh, lower activity, not cleared for any contact situations in practice due to his knee situation, was just cleared last week. So it's it's hard to imagine that he won't be rusty at the outset of the season. So that is really a key thing to watch. And I'll be interested to see if Pablo Juba can be a a playmaker this year in limited minutes, potentially you mentioned Austin and Bobby Hurley did commend him for being that glue guy, a similar likeness to Mickey Mitchell making plays shows up in practice and, and not a drama guy. And if he can provide value in the rotation this year, that's going to be huge, which leads me to a quick point. Trevor, just do you anticipate the other losses? Uh, Elias Valton going professional, leaving ASU uh, and then Khalid Thomas transferring to Portland state, Andre Allen transferring to Southern. Do you anticipate those losses to impact the depth or overall with ASU's depth situation? Is it, looking fine right now I don't think they'll be as significant as some of the other guys we mentioned like Rob Edwards and Mickey Mitchell you know Elias Valtanen and Khalid Thomas really came in in doses last year I know Valtanen got most of his playing time in the non-conference season sort of as a versatile defender ASU used him pretty well against Anthony Edwards when they faced Georgia in the non-conference season but really after that the depth tightened and Alonzo Verge really became the first guy off the bench that ASU relied on and had you know a much shorter rotation a lot uh, relied on its guards for a lot of its scoring um Khalid Thomas was a guy who came in and made shots throughout the year he had a couple good games in non-conference play where or, excuse me in conference play where he came in shot well from the perimeter and provided some energy in doses but I think ultimately he didn't have the defensive versatility that ASU's coaches were looking for and, and that sort of contributed to him not getting as many minutes as people would have expected I think the depth uh, it's going to be interesting to see obviously we've talked about it on here how the front court is going to develop with Chris Osen and then Pablo DeZuba after getting his visa and now integrating with ASU, how much of a factor he's going to be in his first year. Um, he is 6'8 in a big body. I think Bobby Hurley said he's about 235 pounds right now at 17 years old. So he's certainly developing well from that standpoint. Um, but beyond that, this is going to be a team that's going to rely heavily on its backcourt scoring. There's certainly a lot of that now with Holland Woods and even Jalen House being in the rotation. Um, so I would definitely say those guys based on just who's coming in and then who's factoring in um, won't be as big losses when you talk about the three people who left the program. We already have an update, Chris, on the, the situation with ASU basketball's games this week. John Rothstein tweeting per his sources that the 2020 Empire Classic is now moving forward with building an event around Villanova, Boston College, Arizona State, and a fourth team that's to be determined. What do you make of this developing situation? Well, clearly this uh, indicates that Baylor was probably pushed out of the event because uh, the concerns that that ASU expressed about playing Baylor also shared by Villanova uh, 
I don't know exactly the behind the scenes dialogue at this point about what happened, but the fact that Baylor is the team that's now being pushed out and they're looking for a replacement uh, who would, I, I believe, play ASU on Wednesday uh, is very clearly um, sort of a outcropping of what I explained to be the situation, which was that teams didn't want to play Baylor, not just ASU. So, uh, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the Empire Classic at the Mohegan Sun essentially, I think, made this determination that they wanted to go in a different direction. I think there was uncertainty last night when I was uh, reporting on this and then in our conversation this morning about whether or not they would be able to uh, push uh, Baylor out because, you know, my understanding was it was unclear whether there was going to be the ability to do that based upon the agreements that everyone had stipulated to. Like there was a possibility that Baylor could have still met all of what was agreed upon, but now may, may, probably what happened and, and, you know, this is speculation, so I want to be clear on that, but probably what happened is they just uh, expressed that they weren't comfortable with uh, Baylor still being in the events and Baylor accepted that and is now not going to be participating. And again, we'll have more on this developing situation as, as more gets announced and, and we'll have subsequent reporting on all of that. But as it unfolds, we're going to ha have the potential of seeing Remy Martin back at ASU for his senior year. His return from pulling his name out of NBA draft consideration was obviously huge for this team. And he's garnered all already honors from, from multiple outlets, just so much recognition at this early stage already. And he, he earned it with his play last year. It, it, there's no question about that. He's already been included at, in the NCAA player of the year contention by Andy Katz preseason pack 12 player of the year by John Rothstein and a first team all American by the associated press. And Trevor, it's obviously great to get a player of Martin's caliber back, but at the same time, does that make it difficult with all these other ball dominant pieces to kind of keep everyone happy? Yeah, I think the opposite. I think it's exactly what you need. You know, Remy Martin has been a part of really rare success in Arizona State's history, having led it to three straight 21 seasons and the potentially to do it for a fourth year, which hasn't happened before in the program's history. And throughout his career, he's really sort of taken the role of whatever my team needs me to do. If you guys remember two years ago with the team with Lou Dort and Zylan Cheatham, he ended up leading the Pac-12 in assists um, in conference play and really took the role of a point guard that his team needed. And if you remember, I think in the early part of that conference season, he had gotten benched because Bobby Hurley had, was not happy with him and then kind of had to move some things around sort of in that standpoint. Um, and then last year really took over the role of the, the main scorer that ASU needed, finished second in the conference and scoring behind Peyton Pritchard and really took over a lot of the games late in the year. And, and I think back, even though ASU didn't win its final row game against UCLA, um, he had a big game in that one and really carried ASU in a lot of moments that he needed it. So he's been there before. He's a veteran. Uh, Josh Christopher called him a veteran in, in terms of the way he's organized and kind of led guys in practice. And that's kind of the presence you need if you are going to bring a team like this together. Uh, I liken it, if you guys remember a couple years ago, to what TJ McConnell was able to do at Arizona when uh, Stanley Johnson was on that team and they had a lot of potential and guys coming back really steadied the load for them. And if Remy Martin can provide a similar impact, that is what's going to bring this talent together is when you have a guy like that. And you make a great point. And Jacob, so I throw it to you. What are some of the biggest changes you think we're going to see in Martin's game this season? Yeah, I think, I mean, just to touch on some stats, I, I, last year was the third consecutive year where Martin was able to increase his scoring on a game-for-game -game basis. So his, his scoring was up last year in terms of the points he was able to put up. And I think that there's an opportunity for him to showcase that again, despite the amount of talent and shooters that are around him. He's got a lot of options to be able to pass the ball to, but he's also going to get more looks as far as an open shooter, just with the amount of opportunity that he's going to have to create for himself because teams are going to have to guard just more people. And, and I think Trevor touched on that in some of his reporting over the last several weeks. It's just that with the amount of talent that Arizona State has, and like he just said, it kind of does the opposite for Remy Martin. It's not really a clogging situation. It could actually open up the floor for him a little bit. So I think that we just might see more 
of the same from Remy Martin, but just from an improved standpoint. So, you know, he has the opportunity to be a better passer from an assist standpoint. He has an opportunity to make more shots just from the virtue of he may or may not be more open this year just due to the fact that there are more players that other teams are going to have to pay attention to just simply because of the talent Arizona State has. So I think that this year is a year for Remy Martin to really prove what he's made of in terms of being able to play with so much talent on the floor and being able to kind of conduct that and lead the troops into battle this year. So, I, you know, this is an opportunity for Remy Martin to kind of follow the, the Peyton Pritchard mold in a way, if you will. You know, he, he's, this is his fourth year. He's, a, he's trending towards record-breaking status within the program uh, in terms of statistics. And, you know, Pritchard in a lot of the same ways was just a great shooter and a great leader. Uh, Bobby Hurley has talked about how Peyton Pritchard is kind of a guy that he admired in terms of his ability to rally the troops at Oregon and just be able to lead all of the talent that they have there in a harmonious way. And I think that he looks to Remy to be able to do the same thing. Can I just jump in here? The, the operative uh, theme that I think is essential that, to uh, discussing this is Remy Martin himself said that NBA teams wanted to see him uh, take his floor generalship, if you will, to another level. Okay. So when that's the case and he knows that to be the case, and in addition, they wanted him to demonstrate more consistency as a three point shooter. Right. So you're not going to have a much better team. If you're Remy Martin to be able to do that with at ASU, than one that now includes Marcus Bagley, Josh Christopher, and Alonzo Verge. To, Remy Martin is such a competitor. He's such a, a, he has this inner sort of in-game competitive drive that at times in his career, he has uh, been prone to making bad decisions with shot selection because he has, in my opinion, and this is not him saying this, but it, not had enough confidence in the supporting cast that he's had or their, how they are performing within some games or their ability to create shots and get open or what ASU scheme is enabling in that regard. And so he has forced, uh, you know, in my opinion, some, in some games, he has sort of forced it a little bit too much. And um, this year he really shouldn't have to do that. If, 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 we find that Remy Martins is, is forcing the issue with his own getting too, a lot of his shots up this year. That would, in my estimation, go back to a coaching issue more than a Remy Martin issue, unless he was just completely disregarding what's being asked of him, which is also, you know, that is theoretically possible, right? Um, but Remy Martin has already shown that he can score the ball at a high level and he's going to still score the ball at a high level this year. I'm pretty confident he's a returning leading scorer in the pac 12, you know, maybe he doesn't do that this year because ASU has broadly more scoring capability in, in verge, Christopher and Bagley. Um, so, but if, if the NBA tells you, Hey, we want to see how you can run a team better. Well, you know, he's going to have to go run a team even better. You know, and not to say that he hasn't been able to also do that uh, at a high level at times because he, he clearly has. And ASU has been a pretty successful team. Uh, he has the ability to go down as the one of the winningest players in ASU basketball history. He has a, a chance to, uh, you know, maybe more wins overall than anybody else, you know, because they play a lot more games now than they did uh, 40 years ago. Those 80s, those early 80 teams talking about them uh he has the ability to go down in history as a top, number one or number two in assists all time at asu along with Derek glasser he has a you know potential to be a top 10 all-time scorer in asu history they they're going to play fewer games so maybe that hurts his ability to challenge the top five but i think that's also possible uh so there's a lot you know and and ASU hasn't won four 20 games, four seasons in a row ever before. That's also out there for Remy Martin and the ability to go to three tournaments in four years, what would be four tournaments in four years, if not for the pandemic happening in March. And uh, so he has a chance in my mind to have his Jersey retired, uh, hang from the rafters, 
maybe even be on the Mount Rushmore uh, all time of ASU basketball players. If ASU has the type of season that is possible this year, which to me would be only, you know, a first or second type of a finish in the conference. And then we're going to talk about that later in the podcast uh, and a, 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 top five, I would say, or so seed in the NCAA tournament. And I'm interested to see if he's going to rise to that challenge. And if he does do what he is supposed to do for NBA draft purposes in terms of being that floor general, Chris, and his scoring does decrease as a result, because I can't imagine him getting to that 19 points per game mark again with all of these other options and with his just view of of trying to get more more players involved. Do you expect all these preseason honors that he is getting to actually come to fruition? Because I feel like those do honor scoring more than anything. Well, that's true, but they also honor winning at a really high level, right? If you, if ASU ends up being a top 10 or top 15 team and Remy Martin with his already, uh, you know, name recognition and value and his status as a returning first team, all conference player, and all of these accolades that you mentioned, uh, I think that that is what leads you to being able to still get those types of honors, even if now you average 17 or 18 points instead of 19 points. I don't think his, I personally don't think his scoring is going to diminish by that much. I don't think it's going to be like he's now a 14 or 15 point a game scorer. I doubt it. What should happen, right, is ASU should be a more efficient offensive team. It, so that means that, uh, you know, his, his, uh, advanced, you know, analytics go up, his shooting percentages go up, you know, you should be getting more open shots cre- created by having this type of talent, the, 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 the floor spacing capability, the ball movement that, that these guys are talking about. Um, so I still think that all of that is very possible for him, even if now, he is bumping his assists up by a couple assists per game and his uh, scoring numbers, you know, drop by a little bit. And another senior guard returning to ASU from NBA draft consideration, kind of testing the waters a little bit was Alonzo Verge. He transitioned to a very vital bench role last season after kind of struggling out of the gate as a starter, ended up winning Pac-12 six-man of the year. Bobby Hurley has already said that that Verge is going to be starting this year. Trevor, do you think that's the best decision for ASU with the level of talent they have and for Verge just specifically? Yeah, and before I get into Verge, I just want to put out a quick apology to the site. Um, I didn't get to put together the Alonzo Verge player capsule like when we were doing them in April, but that's going to come out later this week as we get prepared um shame on you trevor Boom. i know i know i was looked at i'm like how did i miss him um but yeah going back to alonzo verge um really got better as the season went on and obviously that had a lot to do with his bench role he, he he talked about how he was able to sort of conduct things and see things from the bench when the starters were out there that when he went in he was able to find his spots offensively and sort of see the areas he could attack and then also on the defensive end of the floor he was a really important piece for ASU's full court pressure and how it was able to force turnovers last year. You know, in, in terms of the starting role, I think it's going to be very interesting. I think it's the right thing to do at the beginning of the year just because of how talented he is and what he's going to be able to provide for ASU offensively. But one of the things that this team is going to have to figure out collectively is how it meshes its scoring options and how it's going to be able to have them pick its spots. Verge specifically is a guy who needs the ball in his hands and seems to be much more comfortable with operating off the dribble and creating his own shot than actually getting it and, and shooting a set, a set shot off a catch and shoot situation, which is what a lot of these guards are going to have to do when each of them is penetrating and trying to create their own opportunities and playing off of each other. So I'm interested to see how it's going to work, especially because Remy Martin is sort of the same player, needs the ball in his hands to do his thing. And Josh Christopher is a slasher who's going to be able to get to the rim and then kind of create his own shot as well. So that's something that's going to be big to see, but he certainly has high expectations this year in terms of his leadership. Um, Josh Christopher has mentioned is that he's been the guy that's been getting on him in terms of practice and in terms of being a vocal leader. So I think there's a lot to watch for him and it's sort of going to be another thing as the season unfolds to see how he progresses. I'm going to jump in again here because I view this as a Bobby Hurdley question more than an Alonzo Verge question. Uh, You know, ultimately, 
especially given the fact that ASU has Holland Woods uh, able to come off the bench as a, another guard, uh, not to mention Jalen House, uh, there really is no reason why you would not start Alonzo Verge uh, other than as a coach, you not being able to get everyone to operate within this, uh, this uh, share the ball, uh, you know, and move without the ball effectively type of a strategy, right? In the NBA, you're not saying, oh, you know, we don't want to start this guy because he is better when he has the ball in his hands, but he doesn't only need to have the ball in his hands. You don't, you don't want guys who are dead ends when you have the type of scoring uh, potency that ASU has. You don't need guys who need ISOs to, and, and, and over dribbling uh, to, to do all these things. And I really don't think that Verge needs that. I think that that has been his, uh, his normal, you know, his tendency, what he has been as a basketball player always to this point, because he has never played with guys like Remy Martin and Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley. But for the rest of his basketball career, he will be doing that. And so his, uh, it, it isn't a, uh, how do I get, you know, Lonzo Verge, his situations to where he needs to dribble the ball that much to create his offense It is how do I bring Alonzo Verge as a coaching staff up to a place where he realizes and and plays in a way that that isn't necessary at all times. Now, there's value, a lot of value in having that ability in end of shot clock, end of half, end of game situations, absolutely. And we know that great teams figure out weaknesses of opponents and they basically press their fingers into that weakness over and over and over again until you stop that. You know, if, if you have a, 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 you know, defensive guard, that's a weakness. You figure out how to do ball screens that switch until you get the, a matchup that creates that opportunity, you know, as an example. So there's, there's lots of ways. But this ultimately, in my opinion, is not like a, oh, ASU needs to have Verge coming off the bench. Definitely not. Holland Woods is a scorer off the bench. And remember, how many minutes, this is college basketball. It's shorter games. It's fewer games. You don't have as many concerns about guys wearing down, breaking down, not being able to play when you're going two, two games a week. You have guys who are, these guys are all capable of playing 30 minutes to 33, 34 minutes a game, all these guards. And Holland Woods has the ability to play 15 minutes and 20 minutes. Everybody else is, 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 is staying fresh, okay? So this is a, this is Bobby Hurley's ultimate test to figure out how do we bring these guys along so that we maximize our efficiency offensively as a unit. And I think it's a great opportunity to judge him as such. So do you think then, Chris, that the ceiling for Verge is potential NBA draft consideration? And would that mean with Remy, Josh Christopher, and Marcus Bagley, ASU has the potential of having four guys go in the next draft? I think it's unlikely that Alonzo Verge would, would uh, be an NBA draft pick. You know, he's, he's slightly built. He's not uh, an above-the-rim player as a guard. Uh, he hasn't shown me that he's a, you know, a plus uh, a type of a NBA defender. Uh, or, or any of these sorts of, you know, you know, he also for the size that he is, isn't really a, uh, he's more of a lead guard that he's not a point guard. He's not a, you know, just real distributor of the basketball. So there's limitations clearly in his game that he should be trying. That's also part of it. He should be trying to show that he has all these other abilities as well, because it's going to benefit him. And so it's the coach's responsibility to impress that upon him that, okay, we know that you can score the ball when you have it in your hands against a guy that isn't as good defensively as there's going to be in the NBA. We get that. But what else are you going to be able to do? And why isn't it this year the year that you're going to be able to do that? And what is the scheme by which we actually demonstrate that? So I, I think it's unlikely that he's going to be a draft pick. I, I would even go a step further and say that Remy Martin is, is uh, in a better draft next year than this year is going to have a hard time being drafted. I don't see him as being more than a second round type of a pick but that's okay you know it's not this isn't Bobby Hurley's job 
is, you know, I mean, it helps him from a recruiting standpoint and a program prestige standpoint to, to, to show that he's putting guys into the NBA and they're successful like a Lou Dort, but it, it also isn't his number one priority obligation to make guys NBA players. His number one thing is how do we win the most games at ASU? And when you have the type of talent that you have, you have to be able to figure out how to share the basketball so it's not sticking, it's not bouncing too many times, guys are moving without the ball, and that's that's what's leading to your overall efficiency moving up if you do it properly. Now, the returner with arguably the biggest poised role increase this season is Jalen Graham, and we've touched on it with the loss of Romello White to Ole Miss. Jalen Graham's being put in a position where true sophomore going to likely be the starting center. Jacob, do you think he's ready for it? Well, I mean, you know, he, here's a guy who was tabbed one of 20 of John Rothstein's preseason guys to look out for a breakout potential player. Uh, he is going to have to be able to step up. Arizona state lost Romello white. The only other post player last season who received consistent minutes uh, for Bobby Hurley. And, you know, Jalen Graham really didn't get that much time to shine last year. He averaged 10.9 minutes per game. And this year, it's going to be a significant jump from what he was expected to do last year. Now, we did see flashes in his freshman season of what I think Bobby Hurley thinks he's capable of and kind of the expectations that we have for him as well. And that is this very poised shot blocker. Had he qualified in terms of minutes, he would have been in the top 25 players last season in terms of block percentage, 10.6%. Uh, This is a guy who is advanced defensively. Chris had said it last year that he should have played a lot more than he did play. Uh, He's just a guy who, you know, physically, I think that he's made improvements. Bobby Hurley said in August that he grew over an inch and added weight over the offseason. So I think he's done the things that are necessary to set himself up to be successful this year in a role where he is going to have to be a replacement for somebody who was extremely significant both offensively and defensively for Arizona State last year. Uh, Here's the other thing that I think kind of gets overlooked in Jalen Graham's game is that he was a very consistent shooter, though we didn't get to see a whole bunch of it. Uh, He had the best true shooting percentage among Arizona State's players last year at 65.8%. So I think that this is a guy who could potentially be a a help offensively. Uh, He showed flashes of that last year. It's hard, though, to judge his potential based off of his performance entirely last year just because the sample size was so limited. Uh, But I do think that based on what we've heard, uh, based on what he did show in flashes last year, that this is a guy who should be looked out to be a serious breakout candidate and uh, should play a very significant role for Arizona State this season. Slight slight counterpoint to that. I I think that uh, I I was lobbying last year uh, for the idea that uh, Jalen Graham should be playing even more minutes uh, and maybe even them playing more. uh, two big lineups with with Graham and White against certain matchups. I think that Jalen Graham has terrific feet and feel as a low post scorer. And he has the ability, his poise is outstanding. He has good timing. He has really good understanding of how to uh, create, wait for, and finish his own shots around the basket, jump hooks, uh, really can get off on uh, over either shoulder, uh, has the ability to, to, you know, use a strong base to create these low post scoring opportunities. I think he has, as you said, he can sort of step out and hit some mid range opportunities. He probably got, you know, quite a bit bigger and stronger than he did last year when he looked a little bit slight and had some, you know, uh, some physical limitations. I think his game should go to a different place. Uh, he's clearly a better shot blocker and rim protector uh, by far than Romello White was and should be, from an anchoring standpoint, better in that regard. The questions are going to be defensively, does he provide the same capability or similar to what Romello White did from a uh, away-from-the-basket ball screen coverages standpoint? That's where Romello White was really good. And then also rebounding. Is he going to be able to rebound at that level? I think he really should be. Uh, he gets off the floor better than White, higher, more out of area rebounds. There's a lot to like. I think that if he's able to not wear down and hang in there and not have foul trouble types of issues, I think he's a more dynamic player than Romelu White potentially even this year. And Bobby Hurley sees that 
which is why he's hinting that there's a potential to uh, be equivalent or maybe even better with uh, Jalen Graham on the floor. Right. At the same time, there were limitations with foul trouble last season and free throw shooting as well, Trevor. There were, but at the same time, I think George to sort sort of summarize what we presented here. He's not going to be asked to do anything this year that I think is really out of what he can do. He's really going to have to be a reliable, reliable defender, which Jacob mentioned he has been in the past. He's shown capabilities of being a good shot blocker and a guy who can move well in the post. He's put on 15 pounds, according to ASU's website this offseason, so he should be able to be more stable down low. He'll, he'll have to rebound and sort of be able to get the ball out in transition to ASU's guards for them to set up opportunities in the half, so they don't have to play in the half court as much. And he, he'll have to be a guy who every once in a while will probably have to get a post touch and go to work and, and kind of do his thing like Romello White at times was required to do last season. And I think like Chris said, he has a higher potential in that regard because he's a little bit more athletic, can play above the rim more and has the capability to go to the drop step, to go to the post hook and to use the up and under and that sort of deal. So I think this is something that his role this season he, he can do. Um, he's shown it in the past and he should be able to step into it um, if he plays to his potential this year. Now, Chris, projected starters and key reserves, who you got? Well, I think the Kamani Lawrence situation makes it very clear. That, and uh, Bobby Hurley suggesting that Tayshawn Cherry was working through some uh, unspecified offseason issues as well. Uh, and Marcus Bagley's play, uh, you know, all that, all those things together lead me to believe that Marcus Bagley will be the fifth starter. Very clear the other starters, Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge, Josh, Josh Christopher, and Jalen Graham. Marcus Bagley, to me, is the fifth guy. Your next uh, uh, high-volume uh, minutes players uh, when healthy, if all these guys are healthy, would, of course, be uh, Tayshawn Cherry and Kamani Lawrence and uh, Holland Woods. That's sort of eight guys. Chris Austin is probably like your ninth guy. Uh, and we'll see if the Zubia or however you say his name. Sorry, I'm not exactly sure yet. But uh, I, I would say uh, he's maybe like, you know, battling for like a 10th guy along with Jalen House. And we're going to go one big strength, one of the biggest non-strengths each. Trevor, what is your biggest strength and non-strength of this year's team? I would say the biggest strength is the potential for the lineups to be versatile. And what I mean by that is Josh Christopher mentioned it. They have a lot of guys who can switch in ball screens. And then on the offensive end of the floor, they can play in a multitude of ways. They can go big and they can go smaller and sort of provide a lot of versatility in that way. I think the weakness is going to be its front court depth until proven otherwise, right? We're going to have to see how Chris Osten is going to adjust. And if Pablo Zuba is thrown into that mix, how he's going to play as well. We've seen Jalen Graham and now it's a matter of seeing how these other guys fit in and what they can provide. Jacob. Uh, I'll start with the weakness actually, just because I'm going to agree with Trevor and I'm not even going to add anything to it. We, we, we've touched on the front court depth. So that's going to be my, my non-strength weakness. Uh, my strength, I'm, I'm going to go with Remy Martin and his ability to be a leader with a team that is so deep in terms of its, its backcourt and just what they bring to the table and their potential. Uh, I think that Remy Martin is, is poised to have a very big year this year, and I think he and himself is going to be a strength for this team. And, uh, yeah, that, that's my one strength. Chris? Uh, strength of the team is just going to be the overall offensive firepower and uh, on the flip side, the weakness potentially is, are they going to be able to maximize that? Are, are Alonzo Verge and Remy Martin and Josh Christopher going to be uh, um, not only convinced that it's in the team's best interest, but in their best interest? And is there going to be a scheme in place that's going to be able to best take advantage of the uh, how much potency that they have offensively, uh, I think the the other potential weakness that's that's there uh, beyond the obvious, what Trevor stated, with the front court depth uh, and and uh, this, the size component against bigger teams, is to me just their overall ethos and what what they are going on the defensive end. Like, are they going to have the type of tenacity and physicality? And just that mental toughness and disposition to hunker down and be able to get you the tough wins because we know that in college basketball, uh, 
you know, when you get to the playing better teams and more meaningful games, they tend to be those types of games, not so much that flashy up and down stuff, unless you're just are incredible. And, um, you know, there, we, we don't, we don't know that ASU is going to be incredible, uh, on that, that end of the floor. So, uh, I think those are the biggest challenges. One thing I'll add, uh, it's just that I think the three-point shooting will be more consistent this year with Marcus Bagley being touted as a, as a deep ball threat. Alonzo Verge finding his rhythm later into last year. Remy Martin potentially taking better decisions, making making smarter choices with his shot selection. And I expect this year's team to, to be more consistent in that regard. Moving on, what are the, the, the keys that you guys are watching that will determine if this year's team can play to its potential. Trevor, I'll start with you. Right. And sort of, we've gone over it, but I'm going to say first is offensive spacing. How are these players all going to work with each other? How are they going to create opportunities and buy in to the necessary output that they can potentially achieve? Um, the, one of the things I'll go back to my strengths is just that lineup adjustment and versatility. They're going to have the capability to play uh, against a lot of different teams in terms of stylistically, they can have Jalen Graham and Chris Ostin to sort of match up bigger if they want to. And then they have all those guards who they can put on the floor, um, a couple of them at the same time to really maximize their scoring and play small ball and then get teams out of position. Um, and again, just sort of that front court dynamic. How's that going to look? Um, How is it going to be outside of Jalen Graham? Is he going to be able to be that rebounder and physical presence that Romello White was who can play over 30 minutes a night and really contribute? for this team and the guys behind them, are they ready to step in and play at this level too? I think that's the three things we have to watch this year. Jacob, anything to add? Yeah, I'll just add, you know, I'll touch on Chris's challenge and that is that Arizona State is going to have to be able to prove itself defensively. Uh, Bobby Hurley expressed concerns uh, just that with the team's overall defensive ability and also expressed that he really admired the way that Baylor was able to be a, a gritty defensive team last year and wanted to see some of that in his own team. Uh, throughout this season. So I think that one of the keys is just going to be Arizona State's defensive aggressiveness. Uh, will they be able to find a rhythm and be successful defensively the same way that they've been talking about how successful they project themselves to be offensively? Will they have that on the other side of the court? Chris? It's just the pieces equaling the whole. Like you, like you, you, you want, I mean, the whole, pardon me, the whole equaling the pieces. Uh, I said it backwards. You, you, you need to get, you need to maximize what you have. That's the whole key. And finally, we're going to predictions. Trevor, starting with you, where will ASU finish in the Pac-12 this year? They were fourth last season with an 11 and seven record. And what do you predict their seeding in the NCAA tournament will be if they make it? So they certainly have the potential to win their first Pac-10-12 title in their history. I, I think they're going to finish second behind UCLA just because UCLA has most of its production coming back, their experience, and, and you know sort of what you're going to get out of them from the gun. Um, that's not to say that ASU won't play to its potential. I just think long-term UCLA is going to be able to do that and finish first in the conference. And then I'm going to say they're going to be a sixth seed. ASU will be in the NCAA tournament when that time comes around. Kind of going along the lines as the, the Pac-12 preseason media poll having ASU second behind UCLA as well. Jacob, what about you? Uh, you know, it's funny. Trevor said the exact numbers I was going to say. I was I was debating whether or not I thought ASU would, would finish second or third in the Pac-12 and just kind of fall short at the end. Uh, but I think that this is a very talented team just based off of what we heard and who we know is on the roster. Uh, I'm going to say they win the Pac-12 and are six seed in the tournament. Okay, Chris? 20-game schedule, right? Um, yeah, I think ASU ends up somewhere in the range of 13 and 7, um, give or take a game, maybe 14 and 6. And I, I think ASU is going to end up uh, in a tie for second behind UCLA with Oregon, give or take a game. I like UCLA's uh, defensive uh, grittiness and emphasis, and it – uh, I think has um, no offensive holes on that side. There's some, I think a little bit more questions ab about ASU uh, going into this year, but the team certainly is capable of competing for a, a conference championship. And I think ASU is going to end up with like a five seed in the NCAA tournament, which would be very rare air for the Sundowns. Right. And it would also be their fourth straight NCAA tournament, obviously, as we've said. No, it wouldn't. They didn't would have been last year. 
okay. if if it had gone uh, with, without the pandemic, obviously. But before I wrap this thing up, Chris, any final thoughts? Uh, it's just excited. Uh, you know, it's it's um, been covering ASU basketball for a really long time now. You know, be- better part of two decades. Been following ASU basketball since the mid '90s, and I think fans have reason to expect that this should be one of their very best teams in the last um, quarter century or longer, probably really honestly, the last 40 years, this is, this should be one of their best teams. And that's, those are the expectations that, that are realistic. Bobby Hurley said he's not running away from those expectations. He's leaning into them. So that's how they're going to be evaluated accordingly. And that's going to wrap up. This edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for staff reporters Jacob Renner and Trevor Booth, as well as site publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Mason Kearns, saying so long. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Let's go play some basketball.